If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be massively awe-inspiring, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding some answers to what actually makes giants unique besides their radical powers. And how much work does it take to create as many giant cultures as you want? And what sweet loot could giants drop? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. So the scary season just ended for us in real life last night. Yeah. But then I was thinking, you know what's kind of freaky in real life? Kind of unsettling? What's that? When you have that feeling of being much smaller than someone else. When you've got someone that's like a foot, even a foot or two taller than you, and if they get even a little bit impatient with you, it just feels imposing, does it not? Yeah, that's fair. Um, you know, I'm not a small person, per se, I'm six feet tall, but yeah, no, I don't trust tall people. <laughs> wow. That's putting a firm line on it. Okay. Anyone taller than you is untrustworthy. Yeah. Our friend Eric is taller than me and he's, I mean, he's a very nice <laughs> congenial fellow, but uh, I don't trust him as far as I could throw him. And that isn't very far because he's a very big man. <laughs> That's true. Well, good. I'm glad to know where you stand. And that's really too bad because no matter how nice they are, there's always that that potential. For... He's a, he's a big gentle giant. He's yeah. a lovely guy, but I just can't be left in alone with a room with him. He might, you know, pick me up or throw <laughs> me around or something. I... Like like the famous wrestler Andre <laughs> might. <laughs> like the gentleman Andre. Yes. <laughs> that's kind of where I was going with this is that you know, some people have made entire careers out of being kind of bigger than everyone else. <laughs> Not like insanely large. The mountain from Game of Thrones, uh, Half Thor Bjornsson. He's a huge dude and he's made an entire career out of being huge, <laughs> out of being a strong man and just being a big fucking dude. Yeah, yeah. And then the other day when I was looking into this, I found somebody named Olivier Richters that's even bigger. He makes the mountain look small. He's a seven foot two bodybuilder. And when he's walking down the street, he just stops for photo ops because people want to look at him. <laughs> just look at that huge person. <laughs> they like hang off his arms and stuff. And listen, if you are not a particular huge person, like... I am not, then you never really quite realize what huge people go through in terms of seeing dust settle on every <laughs> fridge, on the top of every fridge. Your fridge is disgusting. Go clean it yeah. to make the lives of tall people much easier. And the dangers of your head? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, I mean, I knock my head on a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I'm not particularly tall. But we'll never tell you how tall he actually is. Who? You. Oh, I just said that I'm six feet. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, 
we're 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 getting somewhere with this. I mean, now imagine a fifteen foot tall version of you. Okay, so that's three me's. Yeah, that's a huge being. Just imagine the shadow cast. The fact that you could hear yourself breathing. And now you're seeing the shit on every every rooftop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're looking inside everyone's gutters. You need to clean those gutters. And imagine if that person gets in a bad mood. <laughs> that's some serious intimidation. And that's why we're talking about making giants rich and interesting. I would flip so many trucks. That'd be fun. <laughs> All right, so getting away from these weird imaginings of our real world, <laughs> let's get into the D&D world. So a lot of the times when we're thinking about including giants in our games, you take a look through the monster manual, you know, they've got some really cool abilities, but what if you want them to actually have a unique feel to their cultures and be different from each other, but still have enough in common that it all makes sense? Well, here's the thing is that I've actually had to go through this. I mean, for a long time, we played Storm King's Thunder for almost creeping up on two years with our group. And I struggled a lot with trying to make each of those giant cultures feel really unique and really interesting because it's tough to get past just the surface stuff of this person's really big. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> Good. Like, yes, the size is something, but what happens when the size doesn't carry you any further right the introduction is cool because of the size and then they're people though exactly and in campaigns like storm king's thunder you are interacting with them on a deeper level you're having to role play them they're not just a combat encounter there's something more and they each have really cool motifs and vibes to them i struggled primarily with trying to make them feel real because it's pretty fantastical to imagine somebody that is 30 or 40 feet tall. Yeah. And if you're the type of person like me, that when you get into that situation, you want to figure out what already exists, no matter what RPG or world you're talking about, there's a lot of lore. And in D&D especially, there's a ton of established lore that at first read, I thought, you know, this is all good stuff. I'm going to sit here and absorb, absorb, absorb. But be careful because when Lore is made just for the sake of having more lore. It can just get really cloudy and confuse the heck out of you. Well, and to your point, we played in that game for almost two years. But how many times did the Giants' rules of engagement, the Ordening, really come up? It was kind of treated more as a MacGuffin. It was just a plot device. Right. I struggled with ways of building that into their everyday life. How does that affect them? And what are the deeper ways that these cultures behave that can really infer to you as a player, holy crap, each one of these cultures is different, unique. I don't want to ask questions of some of the NPCs that I'm coming across. What's this? What's that? Yeah. This is really interesting and deep. And some of those details are really interesting. But then you realize that they're actually not deep. They're just really cool details that have been put onto a storm giant. Yeah. But you don't know how it connects. So when I, as a character, say, oh, why do storm giants all live totally separately? Uh, I, uh, because they all have bad hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> then you're scrambling for answers as a DM. And, and that's why we want to take the approach of 
figuring out the core of those giants' culture and working from there. And that's exactly why you and I tend to end up rebuilding from scratch because it's often easier than going with pre-written kind of campaign stuff because taking a very simplistic approach and breaking a culture down into its very base parts means that we can do a lot of amazing things from understanding at a deeper level in in us rather than having to leaf through a book of just being able to, oh yeah, I already thought of this. And I can make stuff up on the spot based on the stuff that I've already thought of. Yeah. And I can take it any direction that I want if I need to make a new culture, if I need to make an offshoot of a culture, because I already have this stuff kind of locked into my mind because I was forced to think of it, I don't have to go leafing through a book. I don't have to feel put on the spot. And I can come up with better stuff off the cuff just because I did the prep work that matters. And don't worry, it's really not that complicated. And that's what we're going to do in this episode is take you through our culture creator that you can download on our website or you can listen to episode 60, World Building with Culture Creation, to hear about it in more depth. But we're going to use it to recreate giants in a way that we can use them. Hell yes. I cannot wait because I love me some giants. Yeah. This is Kinship Camp, where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventures around the safety of the fire. So in creating a culture, the very first step is figuring out some core values and what those core values mean to those cultures and what values they have sacrificed in order to hold up the stuff that's most important to them. Because this informs every other detail that comes from these cultures, and it's a lot easier to spin off new ideas. So if we take a look at D&D for a minute and step back from the culture creation... What we're working from is these six types of giants, right? Yeah. So we've got storm, cloud, fire, frost, stone, and hill. And because there's so much you could do with those different giants, what we're going to do to start with is figure out one culture that they all came from. Well, and that's the part of the Forgotten Realms lore, too, is that they kind of all came from Anum the Allfather. And the origins of each of those giant types came from each of his children. Right. Which is kind of like similar to some real Greek mythology stuff, I think. But it is a weird concept. It's like he had six totally different kids (laughs) with like (laughs) magical powers that were unique. And somehow they were all different heights. Yeah. You had one really small child at about 15 feet and then another child at 60 feet. And I hope that that was just like an evolutionary trait <laughs> oh and they didn't boy. actually come out like that. Yeah. Also, who's Anum's wife? Well, I think he had a bunch. Kind of, kind of like all the old gods. Okay. Ugh. Yeah. All right. So you know what my beef is with D&D giants? What you got? Too big? Too big. Those giants, <laughs> make them smaller. Six feet. <laughs> That'd be a twist. <laughs> no. My beef with D&D giants, and this is kind of my my gripe with a lot of different stuff, is that I don't really understand where certain aspects came from. And this is going back to that whole thing about lore. Sure, there's some awesome stuff provided in the lore. However, what they don't address is stuff like, why do cloud giants live in clouds? How do they do that? Why do they do that? Why did Anum's child just say, you know what? That fluffy white thing in the sky? 
That looks like where I should live. I'm going to tackle that. What? Why? How? How? Explain the physics to me. Yeah. Whereas if they were, you know, mountain dwelling kind of giants, that makes a little bit more sense. Fire giants, do they actually have fire hair? Or do they just dig fire because that allows them to build their weapons? Like that kind of stuff needs to kind of be addressed. And that, again, is why we do some of this culture building stuff. So that's my gripe. Well, that's fair. I do like, you know, in any magical world, it still needs rules. So yeah, like where does the bird bones and the fire hair come from? Well, exactly. And it can absolutely be some really high magic stuff, but there has to be some rationale behind it. Whereas with some of the D&D giants, some of them are very grounded in kind of a realistic, you know, a lot of them are pulled directly from world folklore. Yeah. And then others get really freaking weird. <laughs> Give me some consistency. <laughs> I think I think one of the weirdest to me is that storm giants are just like swimming around under the ocean all the time. Because that seems much more like a Kraken thing, not like a, whoa, there's a big dude down there. <laughs> <laughs> didn't see that coming. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, so back to back to building some core values for giants, kind of based loosely off of that lore. I think Jordan and I are fired up about this today. We're <laughs> we're really fiery. Yeah. So you and I kind of combed through a lot of D&D lore about giants just to make sure that we were trying to stay true to the original spirit of the giants, but in order to build a proper culture, we need to understand what are those original core cultural values what does the giant kind as a whole hold aloft in their their highest regard and what have they done away with in order to do that so whether you're building a giant culture or you're building a reptilian culture or you're building a kuotoa culture but you're wanting to really kind of dive into them and then make potentially offshoots or things like that the steps that we need to take. We need to build some cultural values and we need to figure out what values they have done away with or have put in the lowest priority in order to hold those values to their highest regard. Because if you're super focused on one, you're not as focused on another. And then it becomes really, really easy to create spin-off cultures because cultures will diverge when they have a difference of opinion. On just one issue, a simple clash can all of a sudden create a new group that believes something different. But exactly. But still has a lot of the same core values underneath that difference. So if we create a set of six values according to our culture creator, and then we swap one of those out and swap a new one in, we have a very different culture. Yeah. There's a little bit of a different spin. Maybe their traditions are different. Maybe their art is different. Maybe where they live is a little bit different. Maybe the way they treat outsiders is different. And then we create a focus. So what do they focus on the most? And that, along with a little bit of environmental details, creates a wholly different culture. So you and I sat down and went through the core giant culture. And we ended up with... The first value of intuition. And this kind of comes from the fact that giants are all pretty long-lived and they have a lot of time to sit with themselves and get in touch with their environments. Mm -hmm. And that comes at the cost of the value of objectivity. Interesting. Yeah. 
They're not so focused on, you know, objective scientific truths as how they all feel about the world and their actions and if it's in line with what they believe. Interesting. Yeah, it kind of gives them that experienced, you know, world weary. We're so old. Our culture is so old. Yeah. This is about our gut feeling rather than we trust it. Yeah, exactly. It gives it that very ancient culture kind of vibe. I like that. The second value is art at the cost of empathy. I know that sounds kind of weird, but they don't have to necessarily correlate. Okay. So they hold art in the highest regard and they they have lost empathy for what, one another or other cultures? I'd say mostly with other cultures and other peoples. Giants are kind of focused on giants and making art that represents their long history and traditions. Okay, yeah. Well, art lives on forever. Yeah, totally. And from a long-lived people to create art that's even longer lived, <laughs> like, yes, art will outlast any one of these short-lived puny mortal lives that play out on a day-to-day basis. And of course, art is a really fun value to play with. You can go in so many directions with that. Oh, yeah, that one's tons of fun because already from the different giant cultures that we know of, like we're going to be able to spin that off into so many different areas. Okay, what's the next one? The third value is cleverness at the cost of safety. So they all very much value being able to overcome obstacles, not just with their brute strength, even though that's, you know, kind of the assumption with giants. Okay. They're just going to come in and punch. Yeah. But they're actually pretty ingenious And they would put that higher than their own safety or just safety in general because they're giants and not a lot can hurt them. Yeah, exactly. They're never that concerned with safety because it takes like a dragon to threaten them, right? Fair enough. Very few creatures in the monster manual stand toe-to-toe with a giant. Yeah, that makes sense. Then we got tradition as the fourth value at the cost of justice, which I think feels kind of true to me like anytime a group of people focuses on the way things have been done they're not so much worried about how it all shakes out yeah that makes sense this is kind of interesting because i can see it playing out in various ways you've got the like more we've got our traditions let's respect them this is the way mandalorian style and then you've got the like this is not justice what the hell you guys are just following the rules because they were written in some ancient scroll or chiseled into some ancient rock. And maybe you're just... Use your brains. Yeah. And it's really easy for people to take advantage of that by just cherry-picking the traditions that they want to apply to the current situation. Oh, man. Yeah, that that hits hard. (laughs) Then the fifth value is bravery Mm -hmm. at the cost of reflection. (laughs) I like that. The uh, the shoot first, ask questions later kind of vibe? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, they're not as worried about safety, so bravery is almost a natural state for them. Face it head on. Yeah, just smash it. Yeah. <laughs> if it's threatening you, hit it harder. <laughs> but do so cleverly. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, the sixth value is community at the cost of progress. Oh, that feels very giant to me. Like, this is why it's done, because it's always been done this way. Yeah. And, yeah, protecting giant kind and protecting their way of life 
feels a lot more important to the Giants, especially as the whole world is running amok around them. Like, from their perspective, again, with short-lived humans, they're obviously going to see this world as constantly and rapidly changing. Yeah. Little cities get built up and little cities get destroyed, and that's just the way of the world. But we need to protect what's ours and our lifestyle and everything that we hold dear. And I think this kind of has to go hand in hand when you're talking about a culture that has existed almost from the beginning of the world, like it's one of the oldest. So you can't really have them be a progressive culture. (laughs) Otherwise, (laughs) they'd probably know some shit. Or they would have giant gleaming cities. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, that feels very good to me. So we've got some values for our core giants. These are values that everybody shares. And now we need to swap one out for each one of the giant kinds in order to make sure that they feel unique, but also connected. Yes, that's the key part. You can't just make them all totally different. Otherwise, why even bother calling them all giants? Fair enough. So the first one, the most powerful of the giants in D&D, Storm Giants, we're thinking they exchange the value of community for independence. And they really focus in on their intuition. And that results with, you know, living solo lives of introspection. They are basically individual, super mega powerful weather hermits <laughs> that you go and got to go on a mighty quest to ask about the secrets of the universe kind of thing. Well, they're also the largest too. Right. And I'm sure a community of storm giants would get noticed, even if it's under the ocean. <laughs> Every time they have a party, there's a new whirlpool up at the surface or, you know, the the seas royal with goings on underneath. So being chill and placid and like unnoticed, I think, fits really well with the storm giants. Yeah. Yeah. That also makes sense for the current affairs of giant kind in the Forgotten Realms is that being rulers of all giant kind, they're kind of like you know what? We're the kings. Uh, You kind of got to follow us so that independence really makes sense. Yeah. I feel kind of above everyone else. But that's really annoying when your boss kind of just like takes off for a few months. (laughs) (laughs) Lives under the ocean. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Next we have cloud giants. And in D&D, they can feel really different. But if you look at the fact that basically they're just exchanging bravery for extravagance, and they focus on their cleverness, that changes a lot from that original idea that we had of giants. All of a sudden, they're not the bravest ones. They're hiding. They're retreating from battle rather than charging out onto the fields with Living in clouds away from all of the hubbub. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. They show off their wealth. They've got palaces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, again, I would probably kibosh the whole palaces on clouds, considering that probably weighs a million tons. Yeah. And I'm not sure the magic that needs to happen in order to do that. But yeah, I would still say like lavish, beautiful palaces that are very hard to get to because they're at a mountaintop. Yeah. It's wild that they're built there, but it makes a lot more sense than what? Invisible stilts under the clouds? Maybe that's how they do it. And the cloud giants, like, they have taken art to the extreme with the extravagance and the beauty 
that they're trying to achieve. Again, just like the Storm Giants, they kind of want to be left alone just so that they can explore the true art of what their peoples are about. Let's build and let's craft and create and paint and let's be the thinkers of the giant world. Yeah, and they often find a lot of pleasure in testing each other on that cleverness. Like they're always kind of gambling and trading their goods and riches. Quizzing each other with riddles and stuff like that. Trying to get one up on each other. Ah, I like that. Always playing mind games. Yeah, which is going to feel very different from the fire giants, which is next down the list, who exchange intuition for craft work, and they focus intensely on bravery. Well, you've just created a warlike giant kind. Yeah, which they absolutely are. They're The easiest way to imagine them is massive fire dwarves. They're always making armor and weapons and and working in the mountains. And you've still got that shared value of art, but they've taken it in a different direction. My job is to craft the most beautiful uh hammer to smash tiny things into smithereens their standard of beauty could be very different it's more that like raw and rugged kind of look everything's very utilitarian i've just i can now imagine their entire living space what does that look like oh it's just raw metal and nothing is painted why paint anything right that takes away from its natural beauty yeah and craftsmanship i dig that that's good Then we have frost giants who exchange that value of art for strength. And that's pretty much their sole focus as they're roaming around the northern wastes. Well, they are weathering the elements. They're the most like survival focused giant. Put them in those games where you're really forcing the party to travel across landscapes and stuff like that. Oh, Then to be able to contrast, you know, the party's survival and what an arduous, painful experience that has been with a frost giant who's just adept at living in these conditions. Yeah. And really just wants the party out. Ooh, out of their, you know, hunting territory This is my turf. Yeah. Whipping a couple of wolves as nunchucks at them. (laughs) (laughs) Those, rest in peace, those wolves' tails. (laughs) Yeah. And then we have stone giants who aren't as focused on that raw strength because they're exchanging bravery for isolation and putting all of their energy into their art. I think we touched a little bit on this in the campaign in Storm Giants Thunder in that your party ended up going into the domicile of some stone giants and we got into some weird stuff that really wasn't in the book about these like dreidel-like tops that sit inside giant caverns and show off the history. Each one is a story that you spin around and you read as uh, as you're visiting some of their archives and their historians and their, you know, just really long-lived people. I've always loved stone giants for that. Me too. Which I'm not sure if that's ever been explicitly stated that that's how they behave, but I really dig this idea of how isolated they are because they are very mysterious. They blend into stone. They do that kind of thing. Uh, In the lore, their skin is almost like made of stone. Yeah. But yeah, I I really like that they focus so much on their art that they kind of lose touch with 
you know, reality in a sense. Centuries could pass and world history could be changed on the surface, but they're happier in caves, yeah, recording their history and living out their lives. A very cool flavor. And finally, we come to the shortest of the giants, which are the hill giants, who exchange all of that cleverness and brilliance for indulgence. (laughs) (laughs) And they focus a bit on community. Okay, yeah. So kind of like, we're in this together. We don't, like, hill giants are the ones that don't actually sequester themselves away from the rest of the world. Yeah, they just kind of like walk around finding food. They don't really care. <laughs> they they really can't stay in the shadows and stay away from the rest of humanity because they're really interested in le- eating the livestock of the common folk. <laughs> yeah. If anyone's heard of a giant, it's probably that one, right? Oh, totally. And of the giants that are being openly hunted by humankind, they're the ones that are because... They're a menace. They're roaming around in groups of three, just feasting and having a good time. And their status is the very lowest of all the giants. So it's not like any other giants are rolling in, protecting them or backing them up. Yeah, exactly. They're they're definitely the lowest on the uh, priority list. Yeah. That's pretty good. I We hit them all. And they all feel pretty unique. And they do still fit with giant lore and the lore that's kind of been established in the Forgotten Realms. But what if we took this to another level? Like, what if we needed to create another giant? You're right. It does fit all that lore. My favorite thing about it is all of this fits on like half a page and you can start to imagine giants already with just that. Well, and if I need to make an NPC of a particular giant that maybe is going to help the players when they come into conflict with a giant kingdom then I know exactly what contrasting belief I need to give that NPC. Why are they going to work with humankind? Well, because they don't see eye to eye with the rest of their giant kind, that is, say the frost giants, because they value the little folk. Right. Over tradition or whatever. Yeah. You just choose one of those values and you change it. And that's why they're here. And that's everything that I need to role play that character to understand and get inside their head. Oh, they're like every other giant except for this one reason, and that's what's going to make them special, unique, and I'm going to play that value up in how I role play that character. And then the next part of our culture creator, which I think is really fun, again, if you're focusing on role playing a certain NPC giant, what kind of thoughts actually roll around in their heads? Like, what are some of the statements of their culture that inform their beliefs? This is the next piece that really helps with role playing. When you are trying to create a character, backstories and little details and affectations and stuff like that may or may not come out in role-playing, but it can certainly help you as a DM or even as a player to understand where your character is deferring from their culture by creating some statements. Create a statement for the culture themselves, and then, like we said, if you're creating a separate character you can make a statement for them that defers a little bit. And just reading that statement is usually everything that I need to go, oh yeah, this is the character again. That's what they're like. Yeah, I like to do this with characters that I make to play myself. It just helps you get into that headspace. So you've created some statements for each one of the giants then. Yes, and I like to pull them from famous people sometimes, certain quotations and things like that. Okay. 
The first one is for Storm, and I came up with this one, but it's just the world whispers its secrets to one who listens. Okay, so you got that like far away kind of, ah, if you sit down and stay quiet. Yeah, you'll hear the the things that normal folks don't hear. Good, I dig that. And the Cloud Giants quote comes from the poet philosopher Rumi, and it's, sell your cleverness and buy bewilderment. Hmm. I kind of figure it like they're always trying to put on a show with their wealth, and they're always trying to be the most clever person in the world. They're trying to bewilder people with all of that yeah. sometimes. What I like about that quote is that it almost has like a cloud, like a fluffy, yeah. aspirational vibe to it. It's, <laughs> it's kind of cool. And you're not sure exactly what it means to that person, but like you're interpreting it in a different way. Well, I'm excited to see how you contrast that for the fire giants. Well, this one was pretty cool. I found a gem here, I think. So the Almogavar soldiers, who were employed as mercenaries in the 13th and 14th century, when they were in their armies, they would run flint down the length of their swords, creating a spark. And as they did so, they would say, Awaken, iron. Damn, that's good. That would be intimidating. Oh, that is instant pants <laughs> shitting. Because it's from... a giant doing it, right? Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, like, if I hear that from somebody that I see off in the distance, and like, <laughs> you gotta make sure that you spend time on the contrast and drawing attention between like the giant fir tree and the giant that's standing shoulder to shoulder with that tree. And then, you know, relaying that quote as this like deep growl coming from a distance, that is where your party goes, nope, yeah, we are out. Especially when the rest of the party turns to the wizard. That was in giant. What did he say? The wizard gulps. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> starts oh, sweating. <laughs> That's good. And for DMs, I see a lot of posts on like Facebook and Reddit about DMs saying, my players never recognize when they're just about to walk into a TPK. <laughs> it's like adding those details that yeah. that's how you tell your players that they are effed. Their swords start glowing red hot or something as they're running these magical flints down the blades. Fuck no, let's go home. <laughs> There's a tavern calling my name. And I love that too, because like that's where you start to put the the fun details on top of too. You start adding in the flames and the fire of fire giants. And it's because of that. It's because the players are faced with all of these rich details that we're starting to get to that makes them heroes when instead of going home to the tavern, they do actually fight yeah. that giant and maybe they win. But without all of that grittiness and stuff that comes from doing this culture creation process, I don't know what to pepper in there to really emphasize this to my players yeah all right so the next giant is frost Ooh. and for this i turn to sun Tzu because he's all about war and so are these frost giants that just want to go around fighting shit this feels appropriate i'm excited <laughs> move swift as the wind be firm as ice attack as the storm and be as still as the mountain it's a little bit modified with like northern terms okay <laughs> but good yeah. i dig that I can see a character or creature that regularly fights white dragons as <laughs> embodying that. Like, yes, 
in order to beat dragons, yeah, you have to single-handedly. Yeah, you need to like be patient and strategic with your fight. You don't just go punch them in the <laughs> face. Then the stone giant. There was an artist named Mark Chagall who said, "Great art picks up where nature ends." Interesting. I like that because they're in their caverns, constantly crafting new art out of rock and stone and yeah building monuments to their own people and they see art in everything that they look at oh that's good i like that thank you thank you okay you're five for five (laughs) i'm really curious how you're gonna knock the sixth one out of the hill the hill giants (laughs) well hill giants ain't smart remember okay so I didn't turn to some great philosopher for this one. All right. I didn't turn to anyone for this one. I just said, it is not good to blank on an empty stomach. <laughs> Insert whatever activity. Hence, I must always be eating. <laughs> yeah. Not good to walk on an empty stomach. I want an NPC hill giant that isn't immediately antagonistic towards the party, that is just constantly trying to eat before they do anything. <laughs> Hey, let's go over there. Uh, we shouldn't go over there on an empty stomach. It's like, to... you just ate. <laughs> what is wrong with you? We fed you a deer. Ain't good to negotiate on an empty stomach. <laughs> I want an entire party to get so fed up yeah. with eating all the time that they kick them to the curb. I want the party to just get fed up of every giant saying that line. Because it's like, it. I don't know, no shade to people that live in small towns. We did for a very long time, but... Sometimes you go to a small town and everyone's got the same turn of <laughs> phrase and you're just like, what are you? If you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. Yeah, yeah. You hear that from everyone you encounter within a half hour period. All of those small townisms. Another yeah. day, another dollar. <laughs> working hard or hardly working. That's the one that gets exactly. me every time. Pepper those in. Pepper all of those in with Hill Giants. Why not? <laughs> Anyways, yes, I think it's super fun to find those kind of quotations. And like you said, it immediately gets you into that headspace. Yeah, I know how to role play any of these characters at this point. Awaken Iron. I love that one. So obviously we're pretty fired up about giants. And after this, the process of creating the rest of the cultural details. So, you know, going back to the whole stone giant thing, that's where my headspace was at when I decided I wanted to do these perfectly crafted areas where people could go in and it's like a library of story that even though these huge stone twirling columns were 30 tons of solid rock that they could be turned because they were so precisely manufactured that a, a normal human could spin them on the ball bearings of stone that they had created. Those little details come so much easier when you understand the culture itself. And you just start to spiral down new ideas. Like, I love that. The stone giants could have all kinds of almost mechanical things that are just perfectly crafted stone. And the rest comes their style, their clothes, their cultural dreams, what success looks like, what giant other giant culture looks like to them. So how they perceive other cultures, like all of that comes from just understanding what are these core five or six cultural values that they hold in the highest regard. And you can find a lot of prompts like that in the culture creator. And creating a culture for any other giant or giant spawned creatures or monsters 
becomes so much simpler because you're just changing one detail instead of starting from scratch every single time. Well, it also depends on how far removed you want them to be. Right. Are they incredibly removed from their giant roots? Maybe you swap out two. Yeah. Maybe for some of those like more monstrous giants, you do two or three, like the Ettons or the Trolls. So what if we created our own giant? Let's create tons of them. Well, let's start small. Maybe just one. <laughs> let's try and create one. What's an area? So we've got storm giants generally live under the ocean. We've got cloud giants on mountains. We've got Arctic. In, in the air. They're, they're kind of all wanting to be left alone. So what other areas are really left where somebody could be totally left alone? Well, the the classic space to be left alone is deep in the forest or the jungle. Or what about the desert? Yeah, the vast open spaces of the desert. Nobody's there. Yeah. We could make some desert-dwelling giants. That survive where no one else can. So what would we exchange? We've got the original values of intuition, art, cleverness, tradition, bravery, and community. Well, I feel like I like keeping things like bravery and community when you're out in the desert. Like maybe they could have, you know, massive communities hidden deep away in the deserts. Oh, yeah. You just dig down in a hole and you create yourself a little barrier and nobody would ever know that you're there. But you could have a culture of you know, 10 or 12 different giants that are all living out their lives deep in the desert. I like that. I definitely don't want to scrap art because that's too fun. Intuition, I feel like you would need out in the desert. I mean, there's <laughs> blue dragons abounding aplenty out there. <laughs> oh, is there? They're just like a dime a dozen. <laughs> just look out for the blue dragons. And trust me. <laughs> Deserts, blue dragons, they're everywhere. <laughs> Travis knows. Well, what if you took them away from the rest of the giants by changing the value of tradition? See, I like that because if you are a scrappy survivor, especially against a hostile climate like the desert, yeah, and the shifting sands make it really hard to hold on to any one particular place. So maybe they're a little bit nomadic. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. So out with tradition and in with... Well, in that landscape, you probably need to be like... You're adjusting. You're not traditional. So you're always adapting to your environment and conditions. All right. I like that. Adaptability. Just because it's so ingrained in my brain, I want like a Mad Max style giant <laughs> culture. Well, <laughs> absolutely. I like the vibe. Maybe not quite like vehicles. <laughs> okay. Maybe but... not monster trucks, but I want something that feels kind of like that that would be pretty terrifying if you're a party that's just wandering through the desert trying to get from A to B, and then all of a sudden you hear the noise of... The trumpets. Know, exactly, like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something big and thunderous and scary. Yeah. So, like, fantasy style, maybe you could have them on some kind of animal-led desert sleds? There we go. Yes cresting dunes on sleds and sliding down the rest of the way coming from a distance towards your party a group of four giants on desert sleds wearing <laughs> you know hats that block out the sun where you can just barely see their eyes from the brim like oh that's yeah. getting good yeah 
Oh, just this massive thundering of whatever hooves or some kind of camel wolves. I don't know. <laughs> camel wolves. Oh, now we're getting weird. Yeah, what kind of beasts would they actually breed in order to to traverse the desert? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like if we don't pull the plug on this, we might end up in a whole nother episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to take this and flesh out an entire culture to plug into D&D. Well, let's see what we come up with. All right. I think before we get too carried away, let's go on to our second segment of Millie's Shop of Wonders, where we're going to talk about what kind of stuff giants will have on them. What magical trinket can't you discover among the shelves in Millie's Shop of Wonders? Okay, so we wanted to do a Millie's Shop of Wonders because a lot of the times when I'm trying to like think on the fly of what a certain creature has on it when the party finally fells it, or if they're like trying to steal stuff, because they do that way too much. <laughs> this is honestly where I fall down on my prep work every single time. <laughs> I'm like, this is the monster they're going to fight, and then this is what's going to happen next. And story-wise, this is how I I break in a little bit of contrast and some some conflict. And then somebody says, and none of that ever comes up, and then somebody says, hey, what do they have on them? Yeah. Fuck. I forget. I didn't think of this. Uh, cash. Well, and that's what it always is. It's like, it's cash. Here's 50 bucks. the weapon that I was using to hit them with. Right. Which means that the barbarian is always like, sweet, a new weapon. And then everyone else in the party is like, well, I guess let's split 50 bucks. And that's only if the barbarian happens to be playing one of those like more massive... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody can use it when you're dealing with giants. Yeah, so that's why we wanted to talk about what would happen if you were in a giant fight, you get every class represented in your party, and you've been really holding off on dropping loot. What okay. could this giant drop for everybody? Well, let's go through all the different classes. Uh, what about a barbarian? Well, barbarians like the hitting, so you could just do like a shattered piece off of a giant's weapon. That'd be much more appropriate than like a 30 foot hammer see and what i love about this is just thinking about the little trinkets on there from each of the different classes in the party i don't have to push somebody towards a particular weapon i don't have to say there is a new axe there i don't have to say this is the loot that you find all i have to do now at this point is say yeah in the battle you cracked the edge of the giant's axe and yeah. there is a shard that is razor sharp on the ground. That barbarian is going to look at that and go, I know what the fuck to do with that thing right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm going to strap that to a stick and I've got a new axe. And you can throw a rune or two on it and all of a sudden have it do something wild. Exactly. Uh, okay, what about a bard? They're not going to be able to use <laughs> those big swinging objects. I think I figured this one out. What about an ocarina? You know, those have been musical instruments since the dawn of time. Yeah. But it's too big to regularly blow it. Like, you don't have the lung capacity as a human or a, a normal-sized creature. Right. So all the bard really has to do, like, the bard's going to see an ocarina and go, I need that. <laughs> a giant's ocarina? Yeah, what do I do with that? But all we have to do is put some bellows in there, and now we're honking on this thing like, like it's a bagpipe. <laughs> nice. Ocarina bagpipe. 
I've not heard a bard that uses that as an instrument, that's for sure. Well, exactly. Like how many cliche, well, I play the lute or I play the, all we have to do is pepper in some weird instruments and now this bard is going to draw a crowd, whatever (laughs) town they go to. No kidding. So I came up with another one for cleric. Oh, okay. What about, you know, a, a like waste pouch for a giant becomes a backpack for a person. Totally. So, A, we, they've got a new backpack, but it's full of some of the medicinal herbs that giants would, would use as like a salve for when they've cut themselves or when they've been wounded in battle. Yeah. And I could honestly think of a, a dozen different ways that I could say, okay, there's like leaves and there's a paste in there and there's this and there's that, that the cleric can now use as a way to potentially heal some of the party members without having to expend some spells. What I like about this is that we're just using the classes as jumping off points. Anyone can pick that up. Oh, totally. Yeah. I think the important part is considering of the five players that I have in my party, making sure that I think of these different things. Sure, they can sort out between themselves who's going to take what item. But as long as I have these details to pepper in for when they do fell the giant, now all of a sudden I'm giving them loot without giving them loot. Yeah, yeah. And they'll figure it out. Becomes easy. Okay, what about, let's keep rolling with the druid. Yeah. What about a sturdy piece of hide or something like that that could be strapped to the front of a shield for like camouflage? Because often, you know, creatures that are being hunted generally have their own form of types of camouflage for their environment. Yeah. I could give them a really thick piece of hide they could strap onto a shield and use. Or even if I wanted to be super generous, I could give it a plus one. Right. To use it as armor. Yeah, they strap that onto the shield. All of a sudden, the shield is a plus three shield. And you know, if you've got a druid that's been wanting a certain animal's hide, but you don't want to do a whole side adventure, there you go. Or they've wanted to hunt down an animal that is dangerous as all hell. (laughs) This is a quick and easy gimme because the giant hunted it, and now you get to to reap the benefits. I came up with one for a monk. So giants, big wild-haired creatures. Well, sometimes you need to tame that hair because it gets in your way when you're fighting. True, we don't talk about giant hair care enough. (laughs) Yeah, they don't have a super cuts nearby. (laughs) Well, what about just a hairpin? Like a big old hairpin. Yeah. They rock the top knot. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) You got to take that hairpin out. And that's that's a human-sized staff. True. So if you want to give the monk something that is a monk weapon, like that's the that's the challenge with monks is that it's hard to give them weapons because generally they're using their fist. And there's not a ton that you want to give them that will make them favor a weapon over their fists. So you give them something that looks like a gnarly hairpin with some like burls on it where it's kind of knobby at one end. If the giant's been using that thing for a couple hundred years too, that's... That's oiled to perfection. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's a finely crafted by giant hair weapon. Yeah. Okay, well, a lot of things could be used for like a fighter. Fighters could use just about anything to hit with, kind of like a barbarian. But uh, I think something a little more strategic or something a little bit different could be fun. And giants are all about runes. So what if an explosive rune inscribed on one of the stones that giants are always throwing? Oh. And it blew up and the chunk of it with the rune on it remained intact. Interesting. I like that. 
So if you get a little creative with runic magic, maybe if that fighter straps that rune to their chest, then they can imbue uh, kind of an explosive element to whatever they want to chuck. Well, see, it's funny because as soon as you started talking about that, my head was going in a different direction where, you know, you've still got the rune and you've still got some of that explosive magic. Yeah. You've got a landmine if you've got a plate Ooh, with a rune on it. There you go. Well, yeah, one time use landmine. That's why runes are fun. Who knows how they work? <laughs> just hope for the best. <laughs> the Throw it on magic. the ground and hope that does the trick. <laughs> then for a paladin, you could do some kind of an amulet that maybe could be traced all the way back to that original giant of their kind that when used as a shield by the paladin leaves some presence within its wielder of that ancestral giant so they get like giant vibes without being a giant yeah people are shit scared of them (laughs) they just feel massive and indomitable oh that'd be great for a paladin i'd be worried about the kind of attitude coming from that paladin for the next couple of weeks (laughs) fair enough What about a ranger? Well, uh, I think a lot of giants operate in a similar way as rangers. So you could just throw collapsing cages of all sizes on a giant's belt. That isn't going to really slow it down at all. That's a cool idea. Kind of like a a big old rat trap or something like that that folds. Yeah. So the party could still use it because it wouldn't be absurdly large. They throw that on their wagon or on their horse. Yeah. And they can still trap some like medium-sized creatures. If the ranger really wants to, they strap one of them to their backs and they've got something cool to use that's very cool what do you got for rogue well i figure there's not a lot of commonalities between rogues and giants (laughs) but what if uh what if the rogue found the complete tools of a master thief because uh the master thief's body was stuck to the bottom of a giant's boot like a piece of gum (laughs) ew (laughs) giant didn't even see that master thief he was so stealthy (laughs) (laughs) oh the negatives of being a stealthy rogue yeah don't mess around with giant feet i mean i don't know how much giants really require locks and therefore i don't know if a giant rogue would require lock picks oh yeah but as a rogue i think it'd be really cool to have a sword that was a giant lock pick like oh yeah you've got the pick kind of like a rapier yeah and you just file down one side of the sword. That's how to lean into the rogue vibes. Is I even <laughs> fight with lockpicks. Yeah, that's true. And it might even have that little hook on the end like a lockpick has. Yeah, totally. For classes like sorcerer, I feel like it's fairly easy to just describe any piece of jewelry. is going to be an interesting thing for any kind of magic user. But just describe an emanating glow. You can come up with the details later. Yeah. But you can always just make something a pearl of power. It's on a necklace or a bauble or it's a it's a little thing that's attached to the base of their sword. They don't really give a shit. They don't have a need for these kind of magic artifacts. So they literally become adornments. But they look cool and they kind of feel powerful. So, you know, they strap them onto themselves. Yeah, they yeah. glow. It's like strapping a glow stick somewhere. (laughs) Radical glow stick. It actually can bend the fabric of reality. (laughs) But (laughs) Okay, well, what about uh, a warlock? Well, going back to your cage idea, what if they just had already trapped some kind of like warlock? I don't know. Depending on the flavor of the warlock that's in my party, I could just throw a different kind of creature in a cage that has been expanded. 
So they've got a couple of collapsed cages. Oh, yeah. But then one is expanded. It's just attached to their hip. This thing's been scratching at their belt the entire time. But they're going to come back to the camp and make a tasty snack of it. But now the warlock has rescued this weird creature from another plane. Ooh, yeah. Again, that could be from anywhere for anyone. That's cool. Then finally, the wizard. I'd like an item that actually takes a little bit of investigation to figure out. So what if, you know, kind of going back to what you were doing with the stone giants, what if the legend of an original giant god or one of their heroes was on the hilt of a massive weapon that the giant was using? Ooh, the wrap yeah. around the handle Ooh, yeah. once it's been unspooled tells a grand tale. Once the wizard, you know, deciphers and reads all that, they've got maybe a, a charisma bonus of some kind with giants. Like... The location of the quest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You could pepper in any secrets that you're holding out. Totally. That works great. Well, I think what we have done is pretty good. I think I can work with most of these ideas for the next giant encounter that I run you through. Though after my last experience harrowing, I'm sure I, I got some gray hairs from trying to run Storm King's Thunder <laughs> without having done all of this upfront culture work. However, what we've done here now is done on almost a weekly basis by Lady Tiefling on Instagram. Oh, yeah. She makes all of the I found this loot tables. Yeah, you loot the body and there's a table. Yeah, those are so handy when you're sitting there panicking. And I'm pretty sure she has one for every giant type. So if you ever need an enemy, and honestly, if you haven't heard of Lady Tiefling yet, no big deal, but I'm pretty sure you have because she's got like 23,000 followers on Instagram. <laughs> she is everywhere because she does such excellent work. And whatever monster that you need for your stories, she's probably got a loot table with what they have on them on her Instagram. They're so great because it's simple items that add flavor. It's not like super powerful magic items all the time like some tables I've seen have been. Yeah. Well, keep up the great work, Lady Tiefling. We're so thankful for some of those tables. Absolutely. So if you like diving into these giant cultures, then please join us on our Discord and have your say about what giant type you like the most. Because in the future, we want to start diving into these giants and like fleshing out the cultures completely and maybe taking some of it in a new direction. So if you like fire giants and you want to hear an episode about them specifically or whichever, just let us know on there. Yeah, hop on our Discord. We would love to have you. You can also follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Reddit. As always, thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you hear in this episode. Thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening and, and awaken hunger. I think I'm really hungry. <laughs> that was your stomach. <laughs>